It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. This is Eric Ludi. When we construct our new studio, we have been dishing out some throwback series from the earlier days of Daily Thunder. This particular series, entitled The Ingredients of Intimacy, was originally aired back in October of 2019 when Ellerslie hosted a powerful five-week advanced discipleship training here on our campus. The theme of that training was pursuing devotional excellence with Christ. We kicked off that five weeks with this five-part series. I hope you will be blessed by this meditation. It's great to see you guys this morning. Uh, so I, this is my week of one uh, one word titles. Uh, so typically this one would be called worship. In the classic understanding of uh, the spiritual disciplines, this would be worship. Uh, but just like yesterday when, when we had the, the word remember, uh, there's so many other ways that the Bible says it, like uh, built these, this is a memorial. So a memorial is a symbol of remembrance. Uh, the word consider uh, in scripture is again to behold, to look upon and to see. And what that is supposed to stir is the fourth art of intimacy, which is worship, which is praise. But there's a lot of words for that. Thanksgiving and gratitude are actually two of the functional words that make it up, which actually help illuminate the idea a little better than just worship. Because when we say worship in the church of Jesus Christ, we have a tendency to think of a gathering of believers and some guy playing the guitar in the front, and we oftentimes miss out on the essence of what the idea is. And so whether or not we feel like worship or not, we worship. And so we're singing songs, and there's certain songs we like, there's certain songs we don't like, and we don't like that style. We, and so we get caught up in the wrong aspects of what I would say worship is or isn't, and we, we miss out on the, the true nature of it. And that is not a style that is a genuine movement of grace in our soul of deep appreciation, deep adoration, deep affection. But that is stirred by what we were talking about yesterday. In other words, when you, and on uh, Tuesday, when you study, then you behold and you consider, and what that does is that stirs you, that incites a response. And so we've been using the illustration of the mountains uh, we could just use the mountains the way they are now. We were talking about a sunset over the mountains, but like right now, from my vantage point, I mean, it's just really beautiful right through here. And right out that big, huge window, I have the lake, I have the leaves that are changing color, and I have the snow-capped mountains because it snowed last night. Now, I see that, and I behold that, and I want to share it with you. That's one of the interesting effects upon humanity when we see beauty. But I also it elicits praise inside of me, like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Now, no one has to twist my arm to do that. And see, in Christianity, we oftentimes have this arm-twisting notion towards the expressions. And so the wow is the expression that is unsolicited. And this is a key dimension to what makes it an aspect of intimacy or an ingredient of intimacy. So if we're going to blend these ingredients together, this unsolicited praise is actually part of it. If, if Leslie feels like I am forced to come up to her and go, I think you're beautiful, <laughs> it is meaningless to her. 
if that makes sense. It is not the solicited, like, could you say that I'm beautiful? And then I'm like, you're beautiful. It's like, well, that didn't mean anything. And it's because it was not unsolicited. It is the unsolicited stirring of actually seeing the beauty, of having that understanding awaken within the one who is beholding, the one who is considering, the one who is meditating, the one who is remembering or seeing it, and then they speak it, or they sing it, or they write it, or it, this is an aspect of intimacy. So in love relationships, you know, man and woman, or even two people that are falling in love, this is a huge aspect, and you learn to cultivate this. The problem is that when you get married, you have a tendency to lose it. You have a tendency to drop it, and that's why these are things that keep the fire burning. So if we were going to talk about uh, that idea of, in the beginning, I think we talked about portable fire. You know, you can come to a campsite, and there's a roaring fire, and you'll warm yourself to it, and that's the way Ellerslie is for a lot of people. They'll come here, and they'll, they'll be warmed, and they'll be stirred in their walk with God, but then they'll go home, and they'll feel cold because they were dependent upon a fire that was external to them. But the Holy Spirit desires to move in and live inside of us. But to cultivate that fire, there's, there's a very real practice that needs to take place. So we could call it portable fire, but the fire will still go out if you don't tend to it. And though you cannot make fire in, in the classic sense, you can't make the Holy Spirit burn inside of you, and he's the wind and he's the fire, but you supply something, in, in a sense kindling, and, and you move logs around, and you, you're, you're participating in the cultivation of this fire and the continuation of it. So you'll bring an extra log in when you see it getting low, and you'll, you'll see it burn stronger. And so those are the disciplines. Those are the arts of intimacy. The same is true in a marriage relationship, is that you actually have to bring the logs in, that you have to move the logs around, that you have to do the work that causes that oxygen to reach uh, that fire and to freshly fan it. And so we're calling this wow uh, because that's in essence, that means something. That's, that's the enunciation of what takes place inside of us, which is the worship. That's what worship is. It's, it's the declaration of wow. <laughs> wow, God. That's what makes a marriage great is the wow. That's what makes uh, your walk with God great. You know, there's a lot of areas in Christianity that if we were to remove the obligatory dimensions of it, like in worship, it's like, okay, we need to sing these songs. We need to all stand. And I think it's appropriate that we raise our hands because that seems to be, you know, the right manners before the kingdom of, of, of heaven and the throne of grace. And, or maybe we need to bow. And uh, so there's various things that we could call obligatory. The same thing happens when it comes to sharing the gospel. It's like, uh, okay, well, if you're going to be a strong Christian, you need to go out and share the gospel. But what it should be is it should be a compelling. There should be something. Paul, Paul says that he was compelled to preach, which is, in, and Paul even then in the next line is going to describe the difference between doing it voluntarily and doing it out of duty. And he says, if I do it voluntarily, there's a reward. If I do it out of duty, then I'm just fulfilling a task. And so he is doing it voluntarily out of something. What? Love. You see, we are moved and stirred out of love to share what we know, and especially if we knew that the one we love is saying, I want them. I care about them. I love them. 
And so as a result, we then say, for you, Lord. It's like overhearing David in the cave of Adullam whisper that he, he longs for a cup of cool water from the well of Bethlehem. And because he is the beloved, he is the loved one, then his mighty men literally go and risk their life to bring back that which he loves. Well, that's the picture. We're the mighty men in that story. And we're overhearing in the cave of intimacy with our king his longings, his desires. But because we love him, we do. It is not because he said, hey, I'm your king. I want a cup of cool water from the well of Bethlehem. You go risk your life to go get it. We'd still go in that sense, but we're just fulfilling a duty and a command in that situation. But this is different. This is the layers of intimacy and closeness and depth of affection that God wants to cultivate in our walk with him. And so we do what we do because we love him, not because we're just supposed to. And so when it comes to worship, worship should not be the outflow of what you're supposed to do. It should be the outflow of what you can't help but do. And so if you are seeing a beautiful scene like I'm seeing right through here. It shouldn't be that, okay, everyone in the room, we're going to come over and we're going to stand here and I want you to say something nice about this scene. Well, that is the most false rendition of enjoying the mountains of Colorado as I've ever heard. And yet many of us will do the same thing in regards to Christianity, in regards to the glory of God. I want you to look at this scripture, I want you to hear this message, and I want you to proclaim something. When it's supposed to be the Spirit of God warming you, saying, do you see it? He's removing the blinders, sort of like when Elisha says, uh, open the eyes of my servant that he may see. That's precisely, it's like, hey, may you guys all see this. Let's get a window in there so everyone can see what I know is there so that you guys can see it too. And so then when we see it, there is no need to ask or beg for a wow to come out of you. It just comes out because you're beholding majesty. When you behold majesty, when you behold beauty, when you behold the glory of God, well, it's normal to say wow. All right, so let's move forward. Let's look at a situation in the Bible, which I would say ranks up there right at the top. And the reason I would even say that I even think God seems to lean towards this being right at the top is because of Jesus' response to it. The, the dominoes that are going to fall because of this story, this is right when Judas is literally going to, this is his last straw, he's going to go and betray the Christ. I mean, there's a lot happening right here. Jesus is going to hallmark, he's going to highlight, he's going to put exclamation marks next to this. It says, what this woman d did we need to now memorialize it. We need to remember it. Uh, and so here we are in Mark 14. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat or eating, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard. It was very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble you her? She has wrought a good work on me. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she has done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. So there's something that is taking place here, and whether or not you would think to call it worship, that's, that's what it is. It is literally a pouring out. It is a scene of value and then giving up what you have in response. This is a responsive thing. There's no arm twisting here. There's no compulsion. She is choosing, in light of the value of Jesus, she is taking everything that she has that would be considered value, that would at all stand in the way, because the word even here for very precious, 
where is it? Yeah, ointment of spikenard, very precious, which is, speaking of the, nar, of the spikenard, is pastikos, which means the object of her faith. So that means she had an object of her faith which was something lesser than what she has seen here. And so she takes that which she has put her faith in and she breaks it open. And she says, you are worthy. Look at who you are. And she responds to him with worship. It's a pouring out. And so what a beautiful picture of worship. Of course, this, this scene is, uh, is rephrased in a different gospel account too. And it's, it's just always been one of my favorites as far as expressing uh, what worship is. So what is worship? Well, here's one definition. The laying down of all you are, the pouring out of all you have, the giving up of all that hinders your soul from gaining more and more of Jesus Christ. Worship is breaking open the perfumed spikenard of your life and body and reverently pouring it on the head and feet of your fair and beloved king. Worship is the act of proclaiming in attitude, in word, in song, in deed, and in body that the glory of God is your singular heart's desire and to see him exalted and adored is the driving passion of your life. So when you see him, there's a rightful response. And what is that rightful response? Worship. It's your reasonable act of service. In, in the Greek, it's called the latreia uh, in, in that Romans passage, which is almost like the Levitical process of worship. This is your reasonable act of service is how it's translated to some. But what? You, when you behold who he is, what do you do? You make your body a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto him. This is the response. This is only reasonable. It's like rational for the mind. The word used there is logikos, which is, of course, a great uh, this is the definition of logical. Uh, it's reasonable. It's logical. If this is true, if he is all of that, then this is the conclusion inside of me. Then he deserves everything. And so what you'll see in this is when we think of worship, we think of singing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's not like it's not, and you can't worship through singing. All throughout the Bible, there's worship in song, and it's beautiful. But worship is in attitude. It's a bentness. In, in the Old Testament, it's a bowing down. It's a humbling. It's licking the feet like a dog, a master. That's actually the definition in the Old Testament. Pretty extreme definition. But in other words, you're seeing the value. You're seeing the highness, and you come low in light of it. And so it's, it's a... It's worship is an act of proclaiming an attitude of recognizing I am nothing. You are everything. You deserve everything. In word, you see, you could worship just with your words. You don't, and it's, you don't have to sing and put music to it to be worshiping because it's an attitude of lowness unto highness, of recognizing value, of superiority. It's a gratefulness. It's a thanksgiving. It is something that, causes you to speak highly of something else. Well, in song is a perfectly reasonable way of doing it, and so there's reasons why throughout Christian history worship has been done corporately in song. It's beautiful. Indeed, you could worship with your attitude, your actions, and you could actually perform worship in how you function even in your physical body, in what you do indeed. But then in body, one of my favorite pictures in Christian history is, Je is Peter worshiping Jesus by how he died. And so I have a message from years ago called Upside Down Crosses. And you think, you think of Peter who's being led to the cross and he's going to be crucified upright just like his Lord. And that's his penalty because you dare preach about Jesus, we'll treat you like Jesus. And 
he says, I'm unworthy to be crucified in the same manner and form as my Lord. And so he chose a more painful death, and he was crucified upside down as a means of honor and worship unto his Lord. Okay, now that's a whole nother level of worship, guys. <laughs> that's a whole nother degree, but what is motivating it? Duty? Love. Love and honor. And so when you love someone so much, then you're willing to even suffer pain and difficulties. That's different than just singing a song. This is like a heightened sense. The reason that men will go off to war is because they love. Now, sometimes it's for the romance of war. You have to recognize that. But the reason men will lay down their life and fight for their family isn't just because it feels good. It's because they love their family. And out of love, they will lay down. And so this idea of worship in such, so many different facets and, and, uh, and ways of expression it is important for us to see. So we've had a tradition in our family, and we haven't, I haven't done it for actually a couple of years, but once I was bringing it up for this, I was thinking maybe I should whip that back out. It, it does work. And it's called an oatmeal day. So if a child complains uh, and they grumble over something, well, there have been various different things we've done over the years, okay? And oatmeal day is one of them, okay? We've also had sad spray. I don't know if you guys ever heard of sad spray, but sad spray was a concoction that Leslie came up with of all these, you know, it had, I don't know if it had Tabasco in it, it had various things. They're all healthy. That's what's funny. But mix them together, and it is one sad spray, and it makes the recipient very sad uh, when they get it in their mouth. So instead of washing your mouth out with soap, it's like, okay, Sad spray. No, not the sad spray. <laughs> okay, so there's various things that we've used over, over time, but an oatmeal day is a very, very fascinating thing in how it affects a child or an adult. But uh, I'll, I'll give you a definition of an oatmeal day. Here's how it works. You only eat oatmeal, unsweetened in all its boring glory, all day long. For instance, uh, oatmeal breakfast, oatmeal midday snack, oatmeal lunch, Oatmeal afternoon meal. And by the way, the oatmeal gets cold throughout the day. So, yeah, I didn't mention that. But it's, it's like the same oatmeal from the morning. It's like cooked, big, big pot of it. And then it just sort of sits there on the counter. And then you dole it out throughout the day. I mean, hey, let this be a lesson to all of you, okay? Uh, oatmeal dinner. And if you can stomach it, oatmeal bedtime treat. Uh, in fasting, the typical taste and savor of life, because that's what an oatmeal day is, it's a fast. It's a fast of everything that tastes good. <laughs> everything that is pleasing to the palate. I mean, this is not. Because I mean, have you ever had oatmeal that's been sitting around for a while? It begins to goop and gum and it, like a gelatinous type of effect where you could take the whole blob of oatmeal and shove it across the counter. It goes as a group. <laughs> So in fasting the typical taste and savor of life, the notion is to cherish those good things which you have already been given in life and to stop begrudging that which you haven't yet grasped. So when you get an oatmeal day, what, what it causes you to do is it, it's weird, but it spikes your appreciation of eating normal food. And it causes you to be grateful for what you were ungrateful for before. And so every time you feel a craving for pleasure, the idea is to give thanks for what you do possess. Exercising all day long the gratitude muscle in your soul and appreciating afresh the good things God has given you. Now, what I'm giving you, even in an oatmeal day, is actually if you were to go through a fast with this attitude, 
Because when you're fasting, it can be really hard because you're doing the same thing. You're just not eating gelatinous oatmeal. Uh, but you're giving up things, especially when your buddy, you know, has one of Linnea Mockler's uh, chicken wraps in front of them and they're eating. It just happens to be the day you're fasting. That's a tough one. Okay, I have to admit, that's a tough day. And then they're, especially when they're making the yum sounds, they're like, mm, oh, that's, oh, this is good. <laughs> Boy, that's, that, that can do you in. But when you're in that situation, you give thanks for what you do have. And you learn to cherish what you do have. And you could also praise God that the next time the wraps come out, you're probably gonna be able to eat them. In other words, a fast is, it's a temporary thing, but what it's doing is it's sponsoring your deep appreciation of the things you do have. And that's something that is very needed. As far as an, an ingredient of intimacy, we must charge the soul afresh and daily to remember the goodness of God. Because there's so much. The devil hops on our back and he's constantly reminding us of what we don't have. He's a specialist in sponsoring self-pity. Self-pity is the exact opposite of worship and thanksgiving. Exact opposite. So if you want the enemy of intimacy, self-pity is it. And so if you want to destroy your intimate walk with God, give way to self-pity. If you want to destroy your intimate walk with a, a spouse, give way to selfishness and self-desire. Hey, I don't get this. How come you're not doing this for me? It destroys you. It just destroys intimacy right there. But when you turn outward and you thank God for what you do have, you actually cherish. You learn to turn outward and see what God has given you. You look out the picture window and you see the mountains afresh and you go, wow. You see, the wow is of es the essence in the forward movement of the Christian life, and it's so easy to lose it. So the anatomy of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an extremely fascinating word to study, and I, I wish I could go through uh, a, a greater uh, teaching on it, but I'm going to give you just a summary point. The word uh, in Scripture in the Old Testament is tauda, and uh, that's the noun for thanksgiving. So when they bring their thanksgiving offering, or, and this is tauda. But tauda is made up of a root verb, well, as all Hebrew words are, and as all Greek words are. They're all based in root verbs. And so we have a root verb for tauda, which is extremely odd and interesting. And it means to lift up. At the same time, it has a negative meaning, and that's to throw down. So that's odd. It means to lift up and throw down at the same time. It, it depends on how you use it, it, defines which way it goes, but they both are the same, and that's important in understanding Thanksgiving. To lift praise, to throw down error. To lift hands in worship is actually one of the number one ways that that word is used. To lift hands in worship, to throw down all that would stand in the way. Have you ever had it? Now, when I, I was at missionary school, and I remember we were in a worship time and these people were raising their hands. And, you know, I, I came from a church where they raised their hands, but I was pretty cool when I was in uh, youth group. <laughs> and I, I wasn't going to do that, okay, because it was some of the uncool people that were doing that. And so, you know, I'd look over at the cool people and it's like I wanted to do what they did and they showed disinterest in the worship. <laughs> so, in other words, my background in worship wasn't too good. Uh, and so, but God was working in a very genuine way in my life and I wanted to worship him. And there was part of me that wanted to raise my hands because I wanted to just express myself. I wanted to say, Lord, I love you, but I hadn't ever done it. And if you haven't done something, it's weird 
how you feel encumbered by your own tradition. And it's like, well, I don't do that. I mean, other people do, but I don't. And so uh, I remember I was standing there and I, I really wanted to raise my hands. And so I had my eyes closed and I'm singing. I'm genuinely singing. I love Jesus at this time. I mean, it's a very real thing. I'm seeing the wow, okay? The wow is in me. And this one person, I don't even know who they were because I had my eyes closed. They, they came over and suddenly I hear a whispering in my ear, like a hand around my shoulder and a whispering in my ear saying, the Lord uh, just wants you to know that he would find great delight in you lifting your hands to him. And, and so then they just disappeared and I had my eyes closed. I'm like, what? And so I remember I did this. I raised my hands like that. Have you ever had your first movements? Uh, I mean, that's like a big deal because you feel like everyone's looking at you like, oh, Eric Ludy's lifting his hands. What is keeping you from doing it? Well, self-consciousness. You know, you're concerned about what everyone else thinks. That's the number one thing, pride, various things. So what you need to do is you need to throw those down aggressively. It's like, I don't care what anyone thinks. That's why these two go together. To be able to lift up, you need to throw something down. You need to throw down all that is hindering you from lifting your hands and lift them. And it took me a while to get to this. I mean, that was a graduation, okay? It started like this. And then it went sort of like this. And then, whoa, whoa, I got the elbow away from my side. And then it sort of stretched out. And then it was like one hand that went up. It was like, look at that. I am making a huge statement, so self-conscious. Isn't that weird how when you're seeing it's like, as if anyone else cares. And, but you're just thinking everyone else in the room is going, uh-huh, yeah, look at them. Look at them. They have their arm raised. It's like as if that would matter anyways. But it's weird how we are so self-conscious, which is why we need to throw that down. Mary of Bethany had to come in front of an audience that thought she was a fool, that thought, thought she was wasting what she was doing, and she worshiped in front of them because he was worthy. And Jesus says, this is it right here. You don't worship because you're going to impress a crowd. You need to be willing to worship even when that crowd mocks you, ridicules you, and goes and betrays Christ because of you. In other words, you're doing this for him because you have seen the wow. So to lift up a sacrifice, that was what the priests would do. Their Thanksgiving offering, they would lift it up. And that's actually what the tauta meant. To throw down all hesitation. So Mary of Bethany is lifting up a box and going to break it over his head. She is lifting up her offering and breaking it open for him. To lift up one's voice to throw down all reticence. I remember uh, same time period. I mean, this is the same school I was in. Uh, <coughs> I, I really struggled with, you know, those people that would yell out like, hallelujah, or something like that. It's like, I don't do that. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm more conservative. And so... I went out into a field uh, behind everything uh, and behind the dorms. Everyone else was in worshiping. Like, this is like a half mile away in the middle of nowhere. I mean, that was about the distance I needed. And I got in the middle of this field, lifted my hands, and I shouted to Jesus. Well, I don't know if that's the equivalent of throwing down all reticence, but it was somewhat. It was moving in that direction. You know, it's like move out into a field a half mile away to throw down all reticence, but there is something that hinders us from pouring out our spikenard, something that hinders us from hanging uh, upside down on a cross, something that hinders us from shouting, wow! Whatever that is, you throw in the trash. 
because it is standing between you and thanksgiving. You have this capacity inside of you to worship, to praise, to give thanks, to give honor, to give gratitude. And it is deeply impacting to your walk with God. And so are you going to concern yourself with what the world thinks? Judas is going to make his little snide remarks, but it doesn't matter to you. Throw that down and lift high your offering, the offering of your very life. So this is a phrase I've used in the past. If any of you have ever seen this in one of my messages, yada yay and yada boo. So there's a yada yay, which is to lift up, and a yada boo, which is to throw down. You know, there's all sorts of things in your life that you should be booing, okay? And you should throw those down. But there's other things in your life that you need to lift high. And in this aspect of intimacy, you know, if we were to get to the issue of marriage, there's certain things that are very uncomfortable for men. And that's just classically understood, and we joke about it, laugh about it, but they're not all that funny in marriage. When you're in marriage and the man feels uncomfortable talking, he feels uncomfortable expressing his emotions, he's uncomfortable doing this or that, well, guess what? That's going to hinder intimacy. And so what is needed in all these things, there's other things that a woman is uncomfortable with, right? And so to throw these down and to lift up that which you know is going to bring about a greater strength is a deliberate act that falls into the wow category. So yada yay, yada boo. When you see the wow, what do you do? That sounded like a little rhyme. Uh, uh, and it wasn't purposeful, but I think I should read it again as if it is. Yada yay, lifting up. Yada boo, throwing down. When you see the wow, what do you do? <laughs> but for each of us, there is a need. Like for instance, if if you're fallen in love and you see the beauty or you see the strength, whatever it is that you're attracted to, you see the nobility, you see the honor, you see the femininity, you see the masculinity, whatever it is that is, is stirring you to express it in a creative way is the normal avenue. And what happens oftentimes in marriage is you stop expressing that. You take it for granted, which is why an oatmeal day is very good for a marriage. And like I said before, whenever you go on the business trips and you get stuck, you know, in a snowstorm and you're missing Christmas Day with your family, it's funny how suddenly that oatmeal day makes you very appreciative of that which you've taken for granted. And so for us, we need to, in a sense, get caught in a snowstorm in our soul every day and live it out and bring that picture before our face, you know, and just have something like a constant cycling through on our, our iPhones of these pictures of the ones that we love. And so the same way we need to do that in a human relationship, we also need to do that in our relationship with our king, which is why it needs to be bound to the back of your hand and be a, like a frontlet between your eyes, that you are constantly cherishing these things, these realities of who God is, so that you do not forget, O Israel, so that you actually remember, because when you remember who he is, you will not live that way, you will live this way. And you will throw down all that stands in the way. If your spike dart is standing in the way, you'll break it open. You'll throw it down so that you can lift high your worship, your praise of Jesus Christ. The cross, the great yada yay. The lifting up of Jesus, the lifting up of the sacrifice, the lifting up of the righteous one, all foreshadowed in the Old Testament. If I be lifted up, 
Remember Jesus? I mean, that's literally what he said. I'll draw all men unto myself. You see, he must be lifted up. Now, what's interesting is being lifted up as a thanksgiving offering. A thanksgiving offering is an offering of one's own uh, initiative. It is not a mandated offering. A thanksgiving offering is an offering of someone's own initiative. It is not uh, the thing where you twist someone's arm. It is not compulsory. It is an offering of free will. It's, a free, it's called a free will offering. Isn't that just interesting? So when I say that if I came up to Leslie and said, you are beautiful, for whatever reason it falls flat. Now you could say it's because you sound like a robot doing it. And yet if she senses that it's not authentic and I'm just trying to you know, check off a box, like I'm going through this list and it says, say uh, you are beautiful to your wife. Hey, uh, Leslie, you're beautiful. All right, what's the next one? Tell your kids that you're proud of them. Hey, Hudson, I'm proud of you. Uh, what's the next thing? That doesn't mean anything because then they look over and they see my list. And they're like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> the cross is also the great yadabu. Throwing down, the throwing down of the devil, the throwing down of the old man, the throwing down of sin. You see, what we see is this free will thanksgiving offering is actually the lifting up of all that is right and good and the throwing down of all that is evil. The church, also known as a large company of yadayayers. Did you know that you're a yadayayer? That's, that's your new nickname, okay, yadayayer. And what is it? Those that see the cross, they lift up their lives as a sacrifice of thanksgiving in proper response. They share in the grand work of that amazing sacrifice as a result. They receive the powerful yadayay of Jesus inside of them in order that they might yada yay always in every situation from then on for all eternity. The church, little did you know that you're also the large company of yada booers. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down, throwing down. Isn't that interesting? Just as much as we are those that lift high, we are also those that throw down, it says throwing down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Isn't that just fascinating that the very nature of what the cross is is that of thanksgiving and worship. The very essence of what the church is constructed for is to lift high Jesus but also to throw down all that is opposed to him. You see, it's two at the same time. You have something that will hinder you from worshiping well, from declaring your well, from expressing that which you know to be true. Have you ever had it where someone around you is doing something that is surprisingly well done? And there could be various things that hinder you from expressing the fact that they're doing something very, very well. One is, they, you already feel like they're getting so many compliments from other people, you don't want it to go to their head. The second is the fact that uh, you're a bit jealous and um, you wish you had that uh, ability. Okay, there's, there's varying layers of reasons why we will hesitate. The other one is it's just awkward to say something. You're not much of an encourager. That's never been the thing that you do. And so you, you feel like you'll stumble over your words when you say it. And yet every single one of those is very bad reasons, if, if I could say it that way. In other words, when you see beauty, when you see excellence, when you see something that needs to be encouraged, even if it's not in the moment, you could say, I'm going to write a note to them and say, you know, when I saw you 
uh, do your thing. I just want you to know, I, was, I thought it was really well done. Was, you did an excellent job with that. Okay, a lot of people in the church are struggling for lack of encouragement because the church has a lot of yada yain it doesn't do. Not only do we not do it to Christ, but we don't express the thanksgiving, the gratitude, the encouragement to others. We don't lift up where we should. Honor is given to those that honor is due. And so as a result, when you see something that is honorable, you should mention it. You should encourage. And if the church starts encouraging, it's interesting how that happens because it's not just in words, it's also in deeds. And so as a result, when someone is weak, but they are serving Jesus, and then someone else has resource, and they see that, and they meet that, it's incredible how it lifts up the body. It strengthens. And so we are meant to work together to lift high Jesus in our midst, and one of the ways we do it is by lifting each other, too. And so this, this art form, this art of intimacy, is one that is runs parallel, not just in our walk with God, but our spouses, our families, the body of Christ. It's just the way we need to live. The wilderness of Tekoa. So the wilderness of Tekoa is in the days of Jehoshaphat, and for those of you that just finished up our classic training, our five-week classic training, we finished with a message called Hold the Position, and it was about Jehoshaphat, and I love the story, okay? So he's surrounded by uh, the Midianites, the Amorites, and, as it says, others beside, who we turn out, turn out to find are uh, those of Mount Seir. But it's funny, and just others beside, that's, that's the way they're described. You can imagine if you're them, you're like, excuse me, you could mention my name. <laughs> <laughs> but <coughs> they, it's, a, it's a strong host, and ar- basically three armies, three powerful armies that are against little teeny Judah. Judah has no hope, Jehoshaphat acknowledges that. He says, we're weak, we can't fight this. So he actually fears. But then he turns to God, and God speaks to him, and basically says, this isn't your battle, it's mine. You don't need to fight, I will fight for you. And so he says, stand still and hold your position. And then he gives very specific details, you will go out tomorrow uh, against them, and I will defeat them for you. So the first action of what they do is they bend down and as a nation, they worship God. That's an interesting response, don't you think? No, what they just witnessed was the wow of who God is and what God's power is. Now, what's interesting is it was a wow that was based in faith because as far as they could see, the three armies were still out there. And yet God had given them a promise. God had spoken to them his word. And when they believed his word, the wow overwhelmed them to the point where they fell on their faces and worshiped the Lord. Then, in response to this, the next day when they went into battle, Jehoshaphat stuck his singers at the front. That is about as dumb of a military maneuver as I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) And yet how brilliant it is if you know the Lord is fighting for you. And so what did he stick out front? His gratitude. It's Thanksgiving. See, he's throwing down all of that enemy by lifting high his praise. 
There is something about lifting high praise, which is a military maneuver of the greatest magnitude that the enemy has no response to. And we are seeing the glory of God in the midst of difficulty in our life, and we praise him. We're willing to look out and say, God, I know it seems dark in this age, but I can see you through the fog. I see the white-capped peaks. I know you are still on your throne, and I know you are victorious. So I am going to thank you in the midst of my trials. It's amazing. But as it says in that story, and the Lord set up ambushments against Mount Seir, against, uh, the, Am- against the Ammonites, and against the Mo- uh, was it Midianites. It's like, yeah, that's what God does. You see, it's not just for your walk with him, but it's also something that changes the world in which we live. When we behave as Christians, just like a great marriage, it's a picture of heaven on earth. That's what it is. Most people would mumble back and go, did you mean hell on earth? Because their marriages are miserable. But a Christian marriage has the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, and fill it. And yes, it's a battle. Yes, it's work. But with the tools of heaven that God has given us, starting with his very grace and his very Holy Spirit and his word, there is an opportunity to see some life in that that this world has never seen. Light shine in the midst of darkness. When the church behaves as the church ought to behave, it is a picture of a bride and a bridegroom. And it is a, it is a power that will change the world in which we live. Set out your singers in front of you today. I want you to deliberately go out of your way to see the wow of God and then respond with the wow. I want you to practice on each other's and in this life of beginning to acknowledge the beauty that you see forming in each other. When you see virtues, learn to express them. Now that's a little more delicate, you know, guide a girl, right? So start on the girls if you're a girl, start on the guys if you're a guy. But to learn to be excellent in expressing Gratitude, thanksgiving, praise, honor. And the better we get at this, the better we're going to be in our, in our walk with God, the better we're going to be in our marriages, the better we're going to be in our families too. All right? Father, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. You're so good to us. Lord, we we see the mighty snow-capped peaks this morning. Your love, your labor on that cross for us. We see your majesty. We see your holiness. We see you high and lifted up in your train filling the temple. Lord, and may we properly express to you what we think of you in such light and such vision. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.